0: It seems men are in trouble in our, in our culture here in America today. It seems like traditional masculinity is being attacked. You see it all the time, whether that's because of uh, sexuality issues or, or gender issues or whatever's being driven uh, by the latest fad or whatever. It seems like men are often the targets of that. At the same time, we're in a place in our culture where the family has been breaking down now for some time. So you you add that to the mix. And because of that, I think there's just a lot of men who who sort of lost their bearings on on what it looks like, what real manhood looks like. For example, a lot of people, men, come in our church. If you haven't noticed, our church has more men percentage-wise than most churches. And that's not by accident. And as men come into our church, a lot of times they haven't had a, a, a role model. Maybe they haven't had a father in their life. And, and sometimes there's, there's this issue that they face of trying to figure out, how do I, how do I be a man at the same time and love Jesus? And, and we're all about that. We say... Uh, The Bible clearly teaches that God made us male and female, that that we shouldn't be merging that into one thing. And that men, God has called us as men to protect, to pursue, to provide, to lead with self-sacrifice. That's what it means to be a man. And, And the way we do that Is through discipline and so today I want it want to talk about discipline and discipline nobody wants to talk about discipline in church you know But that's what we're talking about today so buckle up hang on and if you're new here sorry but we got to we got to do this and what I discovered is I was looking at a text and then I realized well there's some there's some things that are going to cause confusion and so I decided to just deal with the whole thing and I think I could do it in a timely manner but you'll be in the judge of that but anyway there's three types of discipline in Scripture. And so that causes some confusion. So I'm going to cover all three. But you, but so, so try to hang with me, okay? Three types of discipline, how we, the word discipline, how we use discipline, how we think of discipline. It's three different ways in the New Testament. The first way is the fatherly discipline of God that helps us as believers, as his children, to flourish. The first kind of discipline I want us to talk about is the fatherly discipline of God to help us flourish. And there's an example of a passage uh, that I want to read. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer of Hebrews, it's almost like he's dovetailing off everything we've been talking about the last several weeks as we've we've gone through the book of 1 Peter. Because he's aware of this hardship, and he, he talks about that, and then he channels that into talking about discipline, where he mentions the word discipline nine times. Are you ready? He, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, verse 11 was all about the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? And then the quote. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, that was a mouthful, right? Author of Hebrews is telling us, and he's coming off what we've been talking about for several weeks as we've worked through every chapter of First Peter, and we get that Christians face hardships in the world. And now, the author of Hebrews is taking that, he's taking that truth, and he's expanding it. He's saying, hey, life is like an endurance race. Fix your eyes on Jesus and endure the hardships. And see them, he's saying, as discipline. And so, if you're going through difficult times, remember that sometimes God allows hardships in our lives to correct us to help us flourish, to turn us to the right way. God sometimes allows difficult things in our lives as a discipline in us. And so this word, like I said, shows up nine times in the passage. But when we hear the word discipline, we typically think punishment. That discipline equals punishment. But actually the Greek word that's used here is padia, and padia is where we get pediatrics, for example, and for example, a pediatrician's job is to do whatever can be done for a child to help that child to flourish. It's a fatherly discipline. It's a helpful discipline. It's a correction that, that gives something that the child needs. It's not the same as punishment. Our punishment, if you're a Christian, our punishment for sin has already been paid for. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned, you and I, we've all sinned, we've come short of the glory of God, we've all sinned by God's righteous standard, and because of that we all deserve punishment from a perfectly righteous and just God. But because God loves us, he creates a way out, and that is Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, no sin, And the only one qualified then to die and pay for our sins. And we get that by trusting, putting our faith, our trust in Jesus alone. Once we've done that, all of our sin is paid for. Past, present, future. All of our sin paid for, nailed to the cross with Jesus. So as a believer, God is never punishing us for our sins. But... If we are living in unrepentant sin, God will sometimes allow hardships into our life for the purpose of correcting us and helping us not further destroy our own life. So that's what, that's what fatherly discipline from God looks like, and again, it's meant to help us flourish. It's exactly what we do our children, Right? We discipline our kids. We, if they keep doing something wrong, we correct them by either withholding something or maybe we physically and appropriately spank them or, or whatever we do that disciplines them. It's to correct their behavior. Of course, when we do that, a lot of t- times our kids, they cry out, that's not fair. That's not fair. And amazingly, that's what people do with God. They go through hardships, believers even, sometimes go through hardships, and they, if an unbeliever goes through something, that's not fair. Why is that not fair? Why do we deserve, as sinners, estranged from God who's rebelled against God, deserve anything else? As believers, we say, well, our sin's paid for. It. That's not fair. We cry out the same thing. But here's the thing. It's not punishment. If we are unrepentantly involved in something in our life that god has told us not to do he will bring something in our lives to correct us but that's only for our benefit all discipline is for our benefit if it comes from god and so people cry out god you're you're being unfair without trying to to see what god is maybe correcting or helping them with in their life so that's one kind of discipline and there's three different kinds. That's just one kind, right? We call that, you know, fatherly discipline. And again, it's to help us flourish as believers. The next type of discipline I want to talk about, and nobody wants to talk about this, is something called church discipline. How many have ever heard that term, church discipline? Church discipline is a term we use in the Bible for actions a church should take to deal with a member of the church that is in a public, community-wide sort of unrepentant sin that brings scandal onto the church. That shouldn't happen. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5. And so I want us to just look at that as a second type of discipline that we see in the Bible. Now, the word discipline is not used in either one of those passages that deals with it. It's just the word we use to describe what God is telling us to do, okay? So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 1. But before we even get there, why, why do we even need Church, this thing called church discipline. Well, it all starts because we all have an amazing propensity to sin, and we also have amazing propensity to call things that we're doing not sin, even though the Bible says it's wrong. We justify it, which I don't really understand why there's all this pushback that believers have when you say, "Hey, this is a sin." If you know Jesus says it's wrong, Jesus says don't do it, then then it's wrong. If uh, Paul says don't do it, if Peter says don't do it, then that makes it wrong. But people will push back and they'll say, well, I can't help doing this. Well, if, if we push back on everything saying, well, I can't help it, you know, then, then every male in the room would be able to say, well, it's not sin when I lust because I can't help it. You know, we, we don't get to do that. And I just don't understand. Hey, we're all sinners, why the big pushback on saying, why are we saying we don't sin? Why are we making such a big point? We, we all sin, all of us. And it's, it's that propensity to sin that sometimes just spirals out of control that becomes a big public scandal that the church needs to be protected from. So church discipline protects the mission of God's church. Church discipline is to protect the mission. Here it is. Here's an example that we're given as Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians and he's using an example. Now, Jesus has already told us to do this in Matthew 18, but here's an example on how it's playing out in a church. It starts in verse one, chapter five. So here's what Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's not there. He's writing a letter. Here's what he says. It is actually reported That there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, or pagans. That someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant, and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." And then he goes on to explain, hey, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And he says that in a bad way. And this is talking about church discipline. Nobody wants to talk about this today. Nobody. But Jesus talked about it. Paul's talking about it, and he gives a specific example. And here's what church discipline is. It's the process of correcting a member, somebody who claims to be a Christian and is officially connected to the church who is doing uh, some sin that is so big that it's caused a scandal in the community and they're not sorry, they're not repentant, they keep on doing it. So God says that there's a way, Scripture teaches there's a way for the church to confront that, that we lovingly confront that person and say, hey, Do you know what you're doing? This is bringing, you're hurting the integrity of the church because people know that you're a member of this church, God's church, but yet you're doing this huge public sin and everybody knows it. And so you're damaging the integrity of the church. And so that's, that's what that is. And, and we, We teach this, for example, in our Connect class because that serves as our membership class to let people know, hey, this is a reality. You know, if this ever happened, you know, this is what we deal with. Now, that I'm just even talking about this, I see some of you look real concerned and you're like, oh, what bomb is it going to drop on us? Boom. No, we're not doing church discipline this morning. We're just talking about it. It's a very rare thing, but we do. Grace Community does church discipline. There's only one other church in our community I know that does it. Why? Because it's hard. Because it's difficult. Because a lot of time it doesn't work, it doesn't seem like. You know, so it's one of the difficult truths in Scripture, but it's what God told us to do. It's God's church, so we don't have a, we don't have a choice if we want to do it God's way. So, and it's only for people, again, who are members of the church, and therefore they are saying that they're believers, they're connected to the local church, and they're non-repentant. They're not sorry, and they will not stop what they're doing. And so here's a case that Paul writes, and he's saying, hey, I'm not even there, and this sin is so big that I've heard about it somewhere else in the world that a man has his father's wife, meaning a man is living with his stepmom who's legally married to his dad and he's living with her in a sexual relationship. And Paul's going, what are you doing? Even the pagans don't do that. You can't allow this to be happening in a church. You're damaging the reputation of the church. You're damaging the integrity of the church. You're messing up the mission of the church. By allowing this to happen, you need to put this person out, he uses this phrase, turn them over to Satan. What he means by that is you put them out of the church, you treat them as a non-believer, they're out there in the world, and they realize, oh yeah, all my Christian friends have sort of stepped back from me to say, hey, this is not okay. And that causes me to rethink, and then the purpose is Paul's saying what is So they'll come back to God. Is the whole purpose so not pleasant not fun nobody really wants it is not done in a domineering way but it's done to protect the mission of the church and sometimes on rare occasions it has to be done now there's two 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 of the reasons that it doesn't happen much today is because it it doesn't work a lot of times because a couple of things number one is today we have multiple churches in every town, pretty much, and people jump around from church to church. So anytime they feel like somebody's going to hold them accountable on some big scandal that they're doing, all they do is they just jump to another church that doesn't care. And there's a lot of churches that don't care. And so, so you have no traction. But probably the biggest reason is because leaders, or even more so church members, don't have the guts to do this. Leaders don't have the guts to go confront somebody that's publicly damaging the church. And, it's not, and, then, and even if the leaders do, a lot of times the people don't. Because church discipline doesn't just happen with the leaders, it happens with the people of a church. And the people typically in a lot of churches, the Christians in church, their friendship or their family relationship is more important to them than Jesus and his church and that church's mission. And so that becomes an issue. But I'm just telling you, God is calling us to do this. For example, about 10 years, I introduced a phrase, a motto for for being on staff at Grace. And some of you may have heard this before because I've shared it before. It's this, love first, lead second, but always do both. Love first, lead second, but always do both. What do I mean by that? To be on staff at grace, you have to love people first. So when people are overtaken as sinner, you know, we're all sinners, but sometimes people sin it's big and it's public and it's ongoing. And in those cases, first we love that person. Hey, we're concerned about you. We love you. We want the best for you. Come and talk to me. How can we help you? What can we do for you? What kind of support do you need? We love them first. Then from that position of love... We lead them to do the right thing. We point them to God and say, do you realize this big public thing you're doing in front of everybody that you're not sorry for and that you continue to do, do you realize this is wrong, that God doesn't want you to do this, that you're messing up our church's mission as you continue to to act like you're a member in good standing, but you're doing this huge public scandal that everybody knows about? So, love first, lead second, point them, lead them to what God, God's truth, but always do both. And I have to say that always do both, because there's a lot of people in Christian ministry that they got the love thing down, and, and they know how to love people. But one of the main ways we love people is showing them truth. So, it's love first. But to love them, then we have to lead them to showing them God's truth. Love first, lead second, but you always have to do both. Or you can't be on staff here at Grace. Because then somebody else has to keep doing that for you because you're not doing it. So we, we got that two types of discipline, right? The fatherly discipline of God. That helps us flourish and then church discipline which is for the church and the individual but church discipline protects the mission of God's church it also is for the benefit of the person so somebody is at least telling them confronting them challenging them to, to stop doing what they're doing so that's that's both both those two now for the third type of discipline Paul returns to that racing metaphor that he used in the first type of discipline. All right, so in 1 Corinthians, we looked at, at Hebrews, and then now 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for the, first, for the third type of discipline that we see in the New Testament. Okay, and here it goes, and that is self-discipline that helps us spread God's message. Self-discipline that helps us do what we've been called to do, right? And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in, in verse 22, and that's really where I want to land today, but I felt like I needed to deal with those other things just to clear that up on how discipline is used in Scripture. So self-discipline, 1 Corinthians nine twenty-two. to the weak I became weak. That I might win the weak. This is Paul talking about his whole ministry. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way not as not, as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, what's he talking about? What does he, He's using this sports analogy, and he says everyone who competes in the games. What are the games? The Olympic games. That's what he's talking about, Olympic-type games. Remember, the ancient Olympics started about 700 years before Christ and went and existed every four years until about 400 years after Christ. All the New Testament was written in the first century. And so... Everybody understood the Olympic Games because they had been going on for hundreds of years and would even continue for a hundred years after the New Testament. Then it stopped, and it was reintroduced like in 19, 1890 or something. In the 1890s, they restarted the modern Olympics. But not only did they all know about the Olympics every four years, the Olympiad, but this is being written to Corinth. Corinth is down below uh, what we consider Greece and, and Rome today, on, on a peninsula, and in, on that peninsula where Corinth was, which is a major trading center, they had the Smithian Games in ancient times. They did this every two years, and it was in conjunction and sort of part of the Olympic Games. So right in Corinth, where Paul is writing... He's saying, hey, he's talking about discipline to compete in the games. And all of his readers in Corinth know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about what we call the Olympics. And games, you know, we'd call the World Cup and all that, that lead up to the Olympics. That's exactly what's in his reader's mind. And that's the analogy that he's using. And he uses some interesting word for, words here. For example, the Greek word for competes is agonizmai. And it, that's where we get agony. The, and, and we've learned for the last several weeks that the Christian life can be kind of an agonizing struggle. Sometimes there's pain and hardship, and that shouldn't surprise us as Christians. Sometimes we experience that because we're Christians, we're persecuted. But the word discipline here is a different Greek word, translated discipline, than we saw in Hebrews, where pedia, The word for discipline here in this passage literally means to strike someone under, to punch them under the eye and cause a black eye. I know that's a lot for one word. But it's to hit somebody under the eye, which then causes a bruise and their eye to become black. It's giving somebody a black eye. That's the word for discipline. And he's using that to say, hey, Discipline yourself. Go through and then it came to be used for discipline. That you would do that to yourself to discipline yourself. So that's so that's what we're talking about. That's what he's talking about. His whole point here is that we would exercise self-discipline. Now he's not saying, hey, when you mess up or do something wrong, hit yourself to try to get yourself not to do he's not talking about that at all. He's using this as a metaphor. That this is how we should treat our our Christian life. We should take control of. We should subdue. We should win over these areas of our life. We should exercise self-discipline. He's using a physical illustration, but he's applying it to our entire Christian life. And he's saying, I do this to myself so that i can better be able to share the gospel because did you catch what he said hey i've become all things to all people so that i may win some to god that's kind of what we do here at grace you know, we've changed our music or this or that you know we've changed things but The Bible never changes. So when we talk about discipline and even church discipline, we don't pull punches on that. This is what the Bible says. We believe the same thing we've always believed for 75 years, and beyond that, it goes back to the first century. We believe that's as relevant today as it was when it was written in the first century, all of God's truth we call the New Testament. And Paul's saying, hey, I discipline myself in order to be more effective at sharing the gospel. That's his whole point. Now, he uses this, not only race, uh, the, the image of a race, but also he pulls out boxing, which is very interesting. Because racing, foot racing, and boxing were both part of the Olympic Games. But boxing, to me, is very interesting because boxing, of all the Olympic Games, boxing was by far the bloodiest and the most violent. And there's reasons for that. There were actually some other things. They had wrestling, for example, just like they do today, although they even talked about getting rid of wrestling, which is kind of crazy. because actually, But anyway, wrestling they had. And then they had something called the pentathlon, which is five events, which was running, jumping, jumping discus javelin and then you wrestled at the end of that and that sound bizarre you do all those those four events and then at the end you wrestled for it you know it's just kind of kind of wild they even had another event called the pankration, and the pancreation was what we would call today MMA it was wrestling and boxing combined and so you might think that would be the most brutal but it wasn't the most brutal and part of it was because their hands were bare and a lot of times they ended up going to the ground and a lot of times they were submitting each other in holds like that so it's mma style fighting well, then and so you can hit just like you could in boxing so why is boxing more brutal boxing was more brutal because of the way they did boxing as a matter of fact they have dug up uh, about a couple hundred years ago they found a bronze statue. Back, a statue back from the ancient times. And one's called the, the Boxer of Quiriniel. And here's what it looks like. So this is a realistic uh, bronze, a life-size bronze of a boxer. Now they know he's a boxer because of the straps of leather around his fists. And then they kind of go up to his forearms. And on his forearms he has fleece so he can wipe the sweat off of himself But what I want you to see is, first of all, look at the guy's back. Let's see his back. So it's a little discolored because it's bronze, but look how smooth and shiny his back is. But this is a realistic bronze of a typical boxer. Now let's look at his face. You see what's there? He's got a broken nose. If you could see from the side, he has cauliflower ears. If you're a wrestler, you know what that means. Broken teeth and he's covered with scars. This is a boxer. It was the most brutal and violent sport, and the reason, again, was because of the gloves that they used. We have a shot of that. They use these gloves, but they're just these straps of leather, but then over the knuckles, they protected the knuckles, but this is hardened leather that just ripped people's faces, did way more damage to head and face in olympic boxing you could only strike in the face so why is it most brutal because they're wearing these hard leather straps that just rip each other's faces up they can only hit in the head anywhere in the head from any direction and any way and there's no time limit no rounds it just it went until somebody couldn't fight anymore that's when it ended Or there was actually a way to tap out. You could raise a finger and tap out. And then the ref who had a a club would beat the other guy until he stopped beating the guy that submitted. But submission did not happen very often. It was a matter of pride that they would go till they could not go anymore. And I just want you to say, I, I just want you to see, this is what Paul is comparing to the Christian life. Not just the endurance of a race, but the most brutal, bloodiest sport in the Olympic Games that all these people had seen. He's like, hey, I, I don't box like just swinging at the air, I aim my blows. And he's not only that, he's saying, I buffet my own body, I train myself. And he's not talking physically, and he's not doing it just discipline for discipline's sake. He is disciplining himself in all these areas of his life in order to better win people with the gospel. That's his whole point. That's what he's trying to accomplish. This metaphor, it's kind of like this. We, We exercise our physical bodies, right? And so we exercise. We get a dumbbell, we exercise, we exercise. We exercise. And as I keep doing this, am I getting stronger or weaker? It's kind of, kind of a weird question, isn't it? Stronger or weaker? We think stronger because eventually that's why we're doing to get stronger. But as I'm doing this, I feel weaker. We go through doing hard things in order to benefit us. And Paul's saying, hey, just like ancient Olympians had to train for 10 months for the Olympics, we we have an Olympic medal winner sitting in here, right? Jake, are you over there? My son-in-law, Jake Wookie, right over there, about six years ago, whenever that was, yeah. So, yeah, you can clap for him, that's great. But Olympic medal, they had to train for 10 months, they had to show, and if they hadn't trained for 10 months, they weren't even allowed into the games, But why did they train? Because they had their eye on the prize. You see, our our faith doesn't grow unless it's tested. Our commitment doesn't grow unless it's challenged. Our patience doesn't grow unless it's taxed. That's what God uses to grow us and make us better and more effective at doing what God's called us to do. And it's the same, that's that way with our faith. We've been mentioning Fight Club tonight, 10 o'clock. Only 60% of the guys, used to be 50, now we're up to 60, about 60% of the guys make it through. Why? Why only 60? Because it's hard. It takes discipline. We've designed it for men, and we know men are busy and they have limited time, so it's not a big time crunch. There's only three meetings in ten weeks, and this is one of them. So, but we don't, but and it could be done in about 15 minutes a day with maybe an hour of exercise a week. But the point is, it, it's difficult. It's a challenge. It's it's giving up other things to make this happen. Just like an Olympic athlete would go into training, he, he has his eye on the prize. And so because of the prize, he gives up ice cream, right? Or comfort, or free time, or whatever the case may be. Here Paul's saying, hey, Olympians do that for a perishable crown in ancient Greece. It was just a wreath that they wore on their head. He's saying we, Christians, we do this, we discipline ourselves for an Im- imperishable crown that will never fade, will never go away, that will, that will be for eternity. And God's challenging us to live our lives in a different way. To set our hearts on something higher, the prize, the joy that we have in following God. What if the purpose of your life isn't pleasure? What if the purpose of your life isn't comfort? What if the purpose of your life, your whole life, is to glorify God? What if the purpose of your life? is to glorify God by sharing his message with everyone around you. Train for that. Discipline yourself for God's purposes. That's what Paul's telling us. Let's pray together. Father, God, we... We hear your challenge, we, we, we don't like to, we, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, it's not fun to talk about, but your discipline is for our good. Your, your discipline, your fatherly discipline is for our good. Your, the church discipline that you've called us to is for our good. And Lord, the self-discipline that you want for us is for our good. God, help us to do that. Help us to be faithful. And Lord, our time is limited. It's a race. It's a contest. It's a struggle. It doesn't go on forever. God, help us to you, those of us who are believers, God, help us to use our time to glorify you in the ways that you've called us to do it. Sharing our faith, pointing people to Jesus. Lord, help us to keep focusing on you. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like us to stand together. Tim's going to close us in a song. And during this song, I want you to be thinking about how God can use you. And if you feel led, feel free to come up here to these steps or front. Pray, return to your seat. Or if you want to talk to a pastor, we'll be back in room one. Let's turn our hearts to him.